three, two, one. <laughs> what? Reversal of fortune. That's why I tell my friends everything happens for Seriously, a reason. Seriously, you had one job. I, just, I, I can't with some of these people. I just, put down your goddamn cell phone. I don't think my dad even knows how to use a computer. Uh, uh, would you rather? Uh, right, trust me, take no, my advice. No, but seriously, that legit happened. Hello, namaste, shalom, and welcome to Nervous Habits episode 18. I'm your host, Ricky Rosen. And essentially, as you guys know, this is a podcast about just about everything, ranging from philosophy and dating to politics to nutrition and fitness and so much more. This week, guys, I have a very special guest here. We've already had one person that shares my DNA on the podcast. We'll have another. We'll have uh, my father, the former radio star in the 70s and 80s. Um, We'll get into that in a moment. uh, My dad and I are going to be discussing a variety of issues, including the generational gap. We'll be diving into the differences between the baby boomer generation and the millennials and Gen Z. How has technology and social media widened the gap between generations? Career development. Most people work in one industry their whole life. My dad has a little bit of a different experience having bounced around from job to job for five, actually six decades. We'll talk about that. And tons of J-isms on health, happiness, and how to live the best life. All that and so much more on this week's episode of Nervous Habits. Keep sending those emails in, guys. NervousHabitsPodcast at gmail.com. NervousHabitsPodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at NervousHabitsPodcast. Um, if there's something that, you know, an issue or a topic that you want us to discuss, you want me to discuss, but you haven't heard already, feel free to shoot me an email. I'm pretty responsive on there. And of course, we'll give you a shout out on the pod. I appreciate all the support um, and all the feedback I've gotten so far. Uh, so keep it coming. Uh, thanks so much, guys, for, uh, for listening so far. Um, as I mentioned, you know, today uh, we have my dad on the show. Um, welcome, first of all. Welcome to the show, Father, Dad, Jay. Thank you for having me. Uh, you're welcome. It's uh, Just make sure we're, we're speaking into the mic. So I just started podcasting earlier this year, but before we get into our topics, I understand that, uh, <laughs> that you did radio back in the day. Is that true? Yes. Late, uh, the actual date was from about 77 to in the early 80s. We were on a station called WHBI-FM, 105.9, located at 80 Riverside Drive in New York, in and, the city. And that was the days where, where people actually listened to the radio, right? Yes. Nowadays, I'm sure, maybe you know, maybe you don't. I mean, my dad's kind of a dinosaur, and we'll talk into that in the sense of like, you know, you're not really uh, plugged into the, the computer or the, or the social media. But nowadays, people don't listen to the radio. They download music. Do you, you know that? Okay. They download music, so or they download podcasts. Actually, when I first created this podcast, I told my dad, and it took took a, lo- a lot of explanation for him to understand what a podcast was. You understand now, right? Yes. Um, so, so you were you were a radio star for a long time, and you talked about. I mean, w- what was the subject of your show? We had a very big listening audience. I was in professional wrestling, mm-hmm. and we went from uh, the Monday night events from Nassau Coliseum. From Madison Square Garden, and we went back to the radio show. We gave the recap of the matches that evening, and uh, we had interviews, locker room interviews, and people down to the studio. We had a very big listening audience. Mm-hmm. So before we dive into you know wh- what your experiences have been like, you obviously grew up in a different time in uh, in the '60s and '70s, a time where you know you would watch TV on your Walkman, you know, and and um and you needed to tape things on the VCR. Uh, what do you think, how do you think the world has changed most in the last, 
you know, 40, 50 years since your childhood? It's changed tremendously. Of course, a lot of times you don't even know who your neighbors are. Everything is under surveillance now. You can't go a few blocks without knowing people are watching over you. It's a different world today. It's dangerous times. You don't know what's going to be for the next generation. <laughs> With cameras and uh, and uh, going through lights and then walking in the streets, everything is being watched. We didn't have this years ago. It's totally different times. Um, that's funny. Most people would, would, uh, would, would not mention surveillance first as the biggest way that the world has changed. I mean... Right now, I, I think you have a unique perspective because most people you probably see walk around with their phones, with their smartphones, and they're always on the internet and on the um, and on you know Facebook and Instagram. What, what kind of phone do you have? I have a flip phone, which is a uh, little phone that you flip it open and you correspond with the people by hitting the buttons. So if you send a text message, how long does that take? Pretty long. Yeah. No, my, it actually took a long time for, for my dad to learn how to use the space bar. So he would just send, like, uh, with the numbers. If you wanted to send, like, hello, you go to the number, what is it, four? And you hit four twice to get to the H. Then you go to three. You hit three twice to get to the E. So it's a whole production. And right. you, you just discovered the space bar a couple of years right. ago. But it's, it's interesting because you also don't really use the computer very often. Very do, do, you, do you go on, like, check, like, Facebook, Insta, email? Do yeah. you do that? Every so often, if I want to check out an ailment or something going on in the area, I will go on to see exactly what's being said, or different uh, uh, ideas or reviews. Have you used uh, Have you used Google before? Do you know what Google is? No. You don't. You don't know. You don't know what Google is. Are you serious? I heard of it, but I don't know what how to get on. Okay, so Google is a, a search engine where people will just if they need to like look up you know what time a baseball game is or, or you know where to eat a certain restaurant or directions. It's an all-purpose search engine. Like if you wanted to, you, you mentioned you diagnosed your, your elements online, you would plug it into Google. So I guess my point is you're removed from all this. So you know people nowadays, whenever they're sitting at a restaurant, there's no dialogue. We've talked about this. They're just, you know, the kids are sitting on their phones playing games or the parents are looking at pictures on their phones. Do you think that this has uh, made the world better or worse insofar as like socializing is and, and people's attention? It's different. When you went to restaurants years ago, they used to give you crayons and the pad and you used to color in the... Uh, the diagram or the, the uh, different animals. And now today, everybody's uh, in their own little world. Uh, each person has their phone, uh, and uh, it's, it's hard to get any kind of words in. It's difficult. Even when people are driving, people are on the phone. In the movie theaters, in the restaurants, mm. it's a totally different uh, way of thinking today. Why do you think that is? If you have to explain, like, why, since the cell phone came about, why are people so addicted to, mm. to the technology? Yeah, it's changed. I was on years ago. They had the CB radio, Citizens Band radio, and ham radio. And we used to talk to different people. And now, it, now it's not like that. I mean, you, you know, like chat rooms were in the 90s and 2000s, chat rooms were big. You would go in a chat room, you would meet someone. And now Facebook is Do you know what Facebook is? Facebook. Facebook, yes. you've heard of. Um, Twitter, Instagram. That's how people converse. They don't listen to radio shows or call in or there's none of that connection. But let me ask you, you know, since you're so removed from this technology, is there a reason why you haven't because I mean a lot of people your age, your friends so my dad works at the post office, which which we'll get into in the next segment. That your friends and colleagues at the post office are on their phones, your yes. your other friends are on Facebook and Twitter. You know, you're you're a unique um, example of someone who hasn't conformed to the times. What's what's keeping you from getting a smartphone and, and kind of developing? Yeah. 
I'm comfortable. I'm pretty much set in my ways. A lot of people say for business, since I have a business, why don't you just change? I'm more of a dinosaur. I do uh, my billing and paperwork by hand rather than doing it on the computer and getting things in print. I feel comfortable. I'm pretty much set in my ways and uh, who knows what the future is going to be. But I just like doing it because it's been easy for me and I just didn't want to adjust to different ways. And again, you're the rare example because I, I don't know if you've seen, but usually it's the kids that are obsessed with the technology. But sometimes you'll come across a 60 or 70 year old who can't get off their phone, you know, who's, who's looking at pictures. You probably have like, we have family that's like this. They're looking at pictures and videos and Facebook and tweeting. And it's like, get off your phone. I mean, even like your brother, uh, Dennis, is a little bit, you know, with, with using the, the, the phones to take pictures. Um, so it's just, it's interesting that the, the difference is there. And, you know, how do you think children, you know, you grew up in, in, uh, in, uh, Canarsie in the, the late fifties, early sixties. How do you think, you know, your childhood w- is, would have been different if you grew up now, as opposed to having grown up in the fifties and sixties? You know, I didn't know any other way. I was just comfortable when we played stickball at the end of the day or stoop ball or off the wall and we went to the park. What is stickball? Stick a lot ball. of people might not know what well, it is. Well, stickball is when you uh, go to a, a, a baseball park and you bounce it one time on a bounce and then you have regular players uh, play the field and a, uh, a, uh, a concrete field. Off the wall, uh, stickball, when you go to a tennis court, uh, with a stickball bat, which is like a long broomstick, uh, and it had the stripes at the end, uh, and you pick it, pl- play with a uh, rubber ball, which was either a Penzi Pinky, they used to call it, or a Spalding, a pink rubber ball. Hmm. You pitch it fast on the fly, and you try to, you can play one against each other or two teams against each other. That was a big thing years ago. Or we had stoop ball when you went to a house, uh, the Brownstones or regular two families had steps so you used to hit the stoop with the rubber ball and then you used to stay and play in the outfield almost like a wiffle ball they mm-hmm. had that was very big or uh oh they had uh years ago they had something else uh, like uh, like a baki uh, something else uh, a few other things or or or, uh, or just off the wall when you used to throw uh, rubber balls against the uh the uh the tennis Walls. Yeah, and I played stickball with you when I was younger, but I'm sure you know a lot of kids don't go outside anymore. It's very right. sad, but a lot of childhoods are spent, you know, inside on the computer, not socializing. So I think that's definitely one way that um, your your childhood would have been different. Um, do you think that you know? I mean, as as we think about like the later years, like your teenage years, do you think that would have been different if you live now? Like how how do you think? teenage life, adolescence, coming of age, how do you think that's different in 2019 as compared with, you know, yeah. when you were 13 years old in 1969? Good it's year, by the changed. way. It's uh, changed. That's the year the Mets won it. Of course. Uh, but it has changed. Man on the moon. Yes. Uh, over the years, uh, because uh, the neighborhoods were safe, and if your mother wanted you, she used to yell out of the window, you were used to come there, nobody was always worrying about where this child is or That's what's going to be at nighttime. We went trick-or-treating. You never had an issue. If they gave you open candy, you tossed it out. Uh, but it was a different world today. I mean, uh, you don't see as much trick-or-treating anymore. It's uh, People don't want people in their homes at 8 o'clock. It's dangerous. People are tagging yes. along and being chaperoned by their parents. And it, it, it's crazy. In school, we used to come and go 
as we pleased. If you wanted to take a lunch break, you went to the corner deli or the hero shop mm. today, and we had Delaney cards. Every place you went, you marked off everything in a card. Today, every town I know must be like that in the city out in Suffolk has their own school, school security team. We never had that years ago. Suffolk County, Long Island. That, that That's that's where uh, where my parents live now. So, so I mean, I think you touched on something interesting. You said if your mom wanted you in the 60s, she would just call you for dinner. Yeah. I would say a lot of families, ours being the exception, a lot of families don't really eat dinner together anymore. A lot of times the, you know, Mom is, is running out with her friends and the kids are, are doing their own thing. So people, there's, do you think the, the unit, the institution of the family has, has eroded, has, has lost a little bit over time in the last 40, 50 years? Right. It's a different world because uh, years ago, the father was working and taking care of the family. The mother was more of a homemaker. She did the laundry, the shopping, the cleaning. She prepared the meals and washed everything in the house and the windows. <laughs> Today, people have two jobs. Yeah. Uh, the father's going to possibly a second job. The mother's working. They're getting home at 8 o'clock at night. They have no time to shop. They're going online to shop and basically going to the Amazon, which is hurting the retail stores, and they're getting delivered the next day, all in their pajamas. <laughs> of course, the taxes are so out of control that people are working two jobs. When years ago, the father did the job, and that was it. The yeah. kids, and we had 5, 6 o'clock dinner, and now it's it's Later. everything has changed because people are coming home different hours. Yeah, that that's another good point. Uh, do you think that that the world has has operated later and later? Like everything, I mean, you kind of alluded to it there, but everything shut down at five six o'clock when you were a kid. Now places are open all night. You know, right. was it like that when you were younger or now? Yeah, somewhat. You knew the uh, local stores. It was a one. Every town had their own barber store in Brooklyn or. Uh, or if we went to the, the mom used to go to the beauty salon and if she wanted to have her nails done, they used to have a big plastic helmet put on the hair when they used to dry the hair and then on the table used to come, uh, uh, the lady was doing the nails. Now every town, every strip mall has a nail salon. They have foot spas, uh, back spas, and there's so many Japanese sushi and and and, uh, and Mexican places. Mm. We, big thing years ago, we had a Chinese buffet. Uh, we ordered one from column A, two from column B. We never had Chinese, uh, 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 actually, uh, uh, Bobby, what is it called? The sushi. Yeah. Benny Hanna was a big thing 30 years ago. They but still now, have Benny Hanna. Yeah, but now every town, there's so many, uh, it, within a mile stretch, there's got to be six or seven Japanese sushi. Every four or five blocks, you have uh, uh, a, a quarter of a mile, there's uh, Mexican places, the nail spas are in every strip mall. There's so much competition. Yeah. And it's the local people. And what happens is they're breaking up the pie because uh, the people in a small little town are frequenting the local stores. They're not coming in from another uh, borough or another town. So it really hurts the local stores because there's too many of those yeah. locations. Jay Rosen for president 2020. Right. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're bringing up a lot of interesting uh, points about, I would say, the like the degradation of local industry because of big behemoths like you alluded to Amazon earlier coming in and, and stealing all the business. But uh, So you've listened to the podcast before. Something I like to do on Nervous Habits is I like to ask big questions like philosophically, you know, are things good or are they bad? Really think about, you know, what the meaning is of, of these conversations. So as we've kind of like considered the differences between the world 40 years ago and now, I mean, what I'm hearing from you is everything's more convenient. You know, you, you, it's it's instant gratification. You can get, get what you want when you need it. Do you see that as a good thing or a bad thing? If you had to say one way or the other, is it net positive or net negative? Yeah, some ways it's positive. I lived in the city. 
Brooklyn for many years. It was a different lifestyle. Uh, if you owned a house, you parked in the garage or in the backyard. If you didn't, you basically had to shop around for a parking spot and then wake up at quarter to eight in the morning and move your car for alternate side of the street parking. Otherwise, you'd get a summons. He used to clean the uh, streets. The washer used to come by with the bristles and clean the streets. And the city life has changed because it's very overcrowded. If someone's blasting the music, your neighbors hear it. The minute you get to a red light, it turns green, they're blasting the horn. You know, and where I am out here in Suffolk County, it shuts down 6 o'clock at night. It's quiet. It's a different town. You hear the birds. You know, we have deer out here, there's raccoons, the chipmunks run through the streets, there's rabbits on the lawn, and you have ducks in the air. So, you know, the big thing in the city, they had mice, rats, and roaches. Mm -hmm. So it's a totally different lifestyle. It's quiet, it's safer out here. The cops in in Suffolk County now, so in good areas, they pretty much are safe and they ride one in a car. When I was growing up, the the police officers ride two in a car. And you respected (laughs) the police. You respected him. If a police oh, officer was here and he was pulling you over or doing something, you know, you used to salute him. Yes, sir. No, sir. Today, there's no disrespect. <laughs> oh, man. And to be a police officer today, you take your life in your hands because it's a very dangerous job. Yeah, that, I feel like that's a different conversation. You guys will hear my dad is a little bit like me. He's very stream of consciousness, which means it, you're saying what's popping into your mind, which is good. It's good. We're getting all these really fun anecdotes and stories of your life in the city growing up and, you know, juxtapose how it was back then and how it is now. Um, but so the answer to the question <laughs> on whether it was good or bad, you're saying that some ways it, it was better, but something's been lost there. People don't maybe have like respect for authority or respect mm. for older people. Um, so, okay. So that was, that was the world in the sixties and seventies. What about in like the eighties and nineties? How, how do you think things, you know, changed then? And, and how, how has that changed from where it is now? Or it's pretty much the same thing. It's changed uh, for safety reasons. And uh, a lot of foreign, uh, uh, basically from different countries, are coming, and we have a lot of a lot of the immigrants. Like when I was in Brooklyn, uh, we had the different areas. Like it was a Jewish area would be Midwood and uh, and Borough Park mm-hmm. and Flappish, and then Italians had a section which was called Bay Ridge Bensonhurst and uh, Sheepshead Bay. Now, if you go to certain areas, you'll see a lot of Asians have mm-hmm. populated it. Russians have coming, and you see a lot of West Indian and Jamaica. We never had this. <laughs> 30 and 40 years back. We have a different change of people. Everybody tries to respect one another. Sometimes you have an incident. And uh, going up in the days, I know when we had incidents at Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And they had their side of the street. And then what happened was a lot of the, uh, the uh, Jamaican had their side. And there were a lot of incidents. And then was something going on. You had Al, Al Sharpton come out. <laughs> and he used to come out and he used to break up. Uh, and there was a lot, a lot of incidents that uh, this was in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. I, no, I, I, it's really it, it's really interesting because I've had a lot of guests on the show, and um, the conversations are very formulaic. Like, like I'll ask a question, I'll get an answer. You're, it, it's it's interesting because you're so far removed from social media. Like, you don't really have like a you know you have a computer, but you don't really know how to use it. So my dad will say, Ricky, can you turn on the box? Can you make the box turn on? Like, can you put put in the so it, it's it's good. You're you know probably the only person I know who can offer this other perspective. I mean, even even my mom um, is is very acclimated, very like adjusted to the digital world. She's she obviously got a big following on Facebook. So it's 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 great to have the perspective of someone who's still kind of living in the past, but in, in in a good way. And you know we'll talk about your businesses in a moment. But a, a great example of that is what you do with your advertising business because you know. 
with your advertising business, rather than go online and email people to get their business, you actually go in person to make the connections. Do you think that that's yes. allowed you to, to be successful? It hasn't affected me in this business because uh, I offer something very unique. Uh, we do a full color mailing that mails out on a seasonal basis, the magazine, and I uh, show up to see people in person. And since the print business isn't as popular as it was 30 and 40 years ago. People are going online. That's why I do well, because I offer an exclusivity in a full-color magazine, which I've had to send people with the same advertisers, I'd say a little over 20 years. Must right. be doing something right. When I started doing 16 pages, I'm doing uh, between 48 and 52 pages, uh, three times the size in a world that pretty much is uh, occupying their time on a computer. Well, that, well that, I, I guess that was my point, is like, nowadays... You know Groupon? I've heard of them, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Groupon is like a website where, you know, if you want to go rock climbing or you want to go to a restaurant, you can just print the coupon and they email it to you. So your magazine is all, it's all print since, you know, 19, what, 1996? Uh, 1997 we and started. 1997, and it hasn't, you haven't changed your business model. You haven't gone online. You've made it bigger and you've brought in more, you know, more businesses and you've been more successful, but... It's, it's, it's rare to have someone who starts off a certain way and 22 years later is doing it exactly the same way. Same way, pretty much offering uh, local value to people who are looking for uh, community savings for local pizzerias or if it's a McDonald's or a Dunkin' Donuts or a Baskin Robbins or if it's a, a, uh, an Outback restaurant and so forth. People mm. go there, they look to save. In the world we're in today, everybody likes to have the additional 5 or $10 <laughs> extra. If they're going out, why shouldn't they use it? It's, just, uh, it's basically, it's uh, just like money in the mail. It's savings that people have. I mean, if you walk cross the street and you see the dollar bill, would you just walk past it and say, let the next person get it? So you'd walk and bend down and grab it. So when you're not looking at a, if you're looking at a $5 coupon and you're saying you're going to a pizzeria, why not use that? That $5 yeah. is going to be in your pocket for either a, a gallon of gas or something towards the grocery shopping. So my dad's very passionate about the, the saving. Actually, you go on YouTube and you search extreme couponing with Jay Rosen. He has a video Three, three or four minutes long where he talks about the the advertising company because he was trying to get on the show Extreme Couponers on TLC. So you can look that up and hear more of his um, his, his, uh, his yes. you know, expressions about this. So I want to kind of uh, rewind a little and get into your, your history here because right now, nowadays, in 2019, if – you know, if, if you go to school to be a lawyer, you're going to, you know, go to college, you're going to study law, you're going to go to law degree, get go to law school, get your law degree, and then you're going to be a lawyer your whole life. Or if you, you know, do medicine, same kind of thing. You do pre-med, then you go to med school, then you get a degree. But you have, you know, again, sets you apart. You have a, a career where you've done, you know, 20, 30 different things. So, you know, why, why have you chosen to live your life that way rather than just do the same thing from start to finish? You know, some people have a job for 30 years and then they retire and that's it. I've tried working since I was 12 years old from being a waiter in a restaurant to a busboy. And uh, I've had about, uh, like I said, a dozen to 15 businesses. I built them up and sold them. And it was a change. I like wake up in the morning and saying, you know, what's going to be in this business? And, uh, and I built up businesses and I liked it. And you got to treat the customer with respect. So when you have a good product and the people come out to uh, patronize you, 
you do well in business. Mm-hmm. So, so was the idea? So, okay. So, for example, you were a radio host, which we've touched upon. Was the idea of just doing radio for fifty years was that unappealing to you? Right. You, you would be bored by it. Is that it? Yeah, I graduated from a school out in East Flappish called Samuel J. Tilden High School. Mm-hmm. At that time, I uh, pretty much was uh, working a couple of jobs. I worked at La Croce Via. Italian restaurant on Church Avenue. I started off as a busboy. Okay. And, and how, how old were you? I you... had to be about, uh, at that time, probably about 13. Okay. So 13 years old, you're a busboy. I was a busboy in an Italian restaurant that was on uh, near Church Avenue, Linden Boulevard. The old Bethel Hospital was down the road. Uh, now it's called Brookdale Medical Center. Okay. I was a busboy. And then I, uh, I was working a few days a week. And I said, you know something? I have the energy. Uh, I had so much stamina that I said, let me get another job in the evening after this, because the busboy was like between four and seven. So I went to the local grocery store, Remsen Foodland on Avenue B, and I worked in the uh, stocking out uh, of the cans. At that time, uh, the uh, canned restaurant, uh, the, uh, the, the the supermarket cans like cans of tuna, vegetables, we had a special uh, 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 plugger that we used to stamp the price on it uh, like a, a date stamper. So I used to stamp them and, and stock the items in the uh, Remsen Foodland. This was when you were 13? 13. And it was part, these are part-time jobs? Part-time jobs. And then the, the next-door neighbor, it was Harry and Flo's Luncheonette. Also, we used to come in there to purchase merchandise for their store, which is on the same block on Avenue B in Remsen. They started talking to me, and he says, you know, why don't you help us out after hours and close the store and clean up the store, do the counter. So I went from that Remsen Foodland and then I went to work at Harry and Flo's Luncheonette, B and Remsen. Mm-hmm. Also about 13, 14 years okay, old. Okay, so, so, so you worked a bunch of part-time jobs when you were younger in order, was it to make money? Was it to keep busy? What was your motivation? Just to keep busy. Busy, you know, I was a saver years ago. All my friends used to... You were all, a saver, not anymore. Yeah. No, you're still... No. <laughs> it's sarcasm. No. It's the language of the millennials. My, all my friends, uh, we had a bunch of friends, about six to ten friends. I was the worker when we used to go for pizza. Six I used to, to ten friends? Well, uh, close friends, real close, close friends. friends. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, we used to play stickball with. We used to hang out after hours uh, from the uh, parties at uh, nighttime, or, or we used to go just. Uh, I mean, well, well, say for instance, we went to a uh, uh, a pizza party, or we went a pizza a di- party. That's so wholesome. You know, my dad's never been a, a heavy drinker or a partier, no. so I don't no. think he would do well in you know the New York City lifestyle in twenty nineteen. No, I don't drink or smoke, but everybody knows that uh, I was the worker. So at the end of the day I, I picked up the, all my friends I used to pay for at that time it was three pieces of pizza and a small soda for 90 cents it was a quarter nice. of a sli- quarter of a slice and 15 cents for a uh, soda the fountain soda so I paid for a few of the friends they all knew I had the money because I worked and I was very generous that's re- very nice of you this was still when you're okay so after that you worked a bunch of jobs at 13 mm-hmm. did you have it were you working at all before you finished high school besides no, that I was living at home for a while at that time we had a pet dog and uh, and uh, then I went to high, I had issues in school. I really never liked going to school. So I uh, joined the program, which was called Co-op. This was the initial days when they first started this uh, in the, uh, I think it was uh, early 70s or probably uh, late 60s, whatever it was. It had to be early 70s. That the co-op program was when you work one week and you go to school a week. It breaks up the uh, the time instead of four weeks in school. So I got a little background knowledge and experience. My job was at 346 Broadway. I worked for EPA, mm-hmm. Sanit- Department of Sanitation, which was on the Broadway 
and a few blocks away from Chambers Street. I worked a week in payroll department. I was taking home at that time sixty-seven twelve for a paycheck. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Not only do you remember the addresses of where you worked, but you remember the, the prices of the pizza and you remember the, yeah. the amount of the paycheck. Um, okay, so then what did you? When did you start to branch out and, and do the you know some of your other things like the Salvation yeah. Army? The- I was living at home at that time and. Uh, and I used to walk the streets, at basically coming home, five, uh, walking to go to my uh, to Subway. And then I used to pass by. I was very much into collecting. So I, I started a, a collection with comic books. I used to go by the oldie but goodie store. I used to have uh, Nostalgia Records. I passed by Treflix, a pet store. He had a monkey in the window for 100 bucks. So I said to myself, what a nice little monkey. I came back the next day, put the deposit, and I took him home, and I called him Rosie. Was how, a, how old were you when you had the monkey? I was about uh, 16 or 17 years old. I think I mentioned on one of my previous episodes, I don't know if you listened to it, but I mentioned you had the monkey because we were talking about, I was talking about pets and animals and how it pays to have a pet and how nowadays chimps and, and animals like that are banned. But you had Rosie when you were 16, 17, yeah. and, uh, and you had her for how long? Yeah, Rosie was a capuchin monkey. Uh, they had a few small monkeys. They had a woolly monkey, a spider monkey, and a capuchin. Capuchin monkey was also classified as a ringtail. Uh, if you go back to the old days when they had the little rascals, uh, it was cl- also called the organ grinder monkey. That the organ grinder used to have a uh, uh, organ grinder, and the monkey used to uh, play and dance in front of the people, and then he used to grab a, if you throw like a quarter or a do- uh, half a dollar at that time, and the, and I had the, the monkey. We called him Rosie. And I used to keep him in a big, big cage in my room. Was it Rosie because of Rosen, your last name? Or you was know, it something else? For some odd reason, we just liked the name Rosie. They were very inquisitive. They needed a lot of attention. And pretty much she was good. I used to take him on drives. <laughs> she. To, uh, she. I took him on drives. My friend had a pizzeria in Philadelphia. We brought him in the car at that time. He used to sit on my shoulder. But again, they can be vicious. You got to realize these are wild animals. She, now there's a band. Strong? Like if she attacked you because she hurt yeah. you? Well, not like a chimpanzee, not but a they're, chimpanzee. they're basically small little monkeys, characteristics of a human. They're, uh, again, you can't get them today. There is a ban on them. But again, that was 100 bucks. 100 bucks. And then you used to, if you speak to your parents and your grandparents, years ago, they were available in pet stores. They used to have them in the window and we bought them. And I kept him for about a year or so because he had to get to a different owner. He uh, he required a lot of attention. Since I was a worker, she, she, she. she uh, <laughs> my parents wind up taking care of him, which was also a uh, surprise when I brought him home one day. Parents like, what the heck is this? Uh, you know, I brought home a monkey, and uh, and uh, and but that was an experience. Okay, so so you were 16, 17, you had worked these jobs part-time, you're working in the grocery store, you're working at the, the, at the uh, as a busboy, then you got the monkey, and then then you finished school in, let, let me do the math here, in 1960, no, 1968, I want to say. No, 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 1974. Just about. 74. Yeah, I didn't like going to college. Yeah. I went to New York City Technical College for... Uh, Starting a new business, uh, uh, exterminating. I went for my exterminating license uh, in uh, in uh, downtown Brooklyn, J-, J Street, a few nights a week for the DEC Department of Environmental Conservation. Gave a course 
to get licensing in, in insect and rodents. You had to be certified. For All right, that. so t- so time out. Why why in exterminating? I mean, the first you 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 know finishing your school, you want to start your your first real job. All your friends are doing all sorts of crazy things in media and in business. Why did you want to want to kill insects for? Well, living? exterminating was always a big markup, and it was in demand. The job is needed by everybody. The exterminating. Uh, if it was a clean house, you want to keep the house pest free. And if it was a dirty house, you had insect and rodent problems, you want to get rid of them. So I looked into a field that I say that there's always going to be a call for it, for restaurants, stores, commercial, and residents. And that's when I decided to go in there. But prior to that, I was always into volunteering. So before we dive into the Salvation Army, go back to exterminating for a minute, because I think that's really interesting. When I tell friends and people that you've had all these jobs, everyone's always kind of intrigued. Oh, he had his own exterminating business. It's called, it was called Mugabug, right? Yes, I decided on coming up. Uh, name is very important in business. Rather than calling it John's Pest Control or Jay's Exterminating, I wanted a name that would stay with you and people would get a kick out of it. And it's something that always comes to mind. So I said, let's call it Mugabug. We rob roaches out of, of their lives. Mm. So Mugabug Exterminating Company was an exterminating company that specialized in insect and rodents. If it was spiders, if it was bees, if it was any type of rodent, rat problem or insect problem or mice, we used to go down and try to eliminate the problem. If it was trapping them or eliminating them with glue boards, the the trap or catch-alls or the sprays, I had to be certified in that course. And uh, I started out giving out flyers. I liked the business again because I thought this is something that was needed. In the service industry, you could become a plumber. But not everybody needs a plumber, mm-hmm. okay? Not everybody needs an electrician or a roofing guy or, or a guy with refri- refrigeration. Uh, the average home really can use an exterminator because in the summertime, you can have a bad ant problem. Right. You can have a bee's nest. You know, what's going on here? There's wasps flying here. And in the wintertime, there's mice coming in somewhere out. And you and you mentioned Mugabug and how important the name was. Uh, you know, nowadays I know you don't go on Google, but if you Google Mugabug, sixteen million results. There's already I can see the first page. There's a Mugabug pest control in Colorado. There's two in New Jersey. There's I mean they're all over the country. Arizona. You should have trademarked that. I should have. Yes, <laughs> you should have trademarked it. Now everyone's yeah. stealing your idea. Yeah, years ago. They didn't matter of fact, it, but they thought of it. I came in, well, now they have the 800 numbers. Now they have 877-855-888-866. The 800 number first started out years ago. They asked me, they say, we have the perfect thing for you. You have seven numbers, seven letters, M-U-G-A-B-U-G. If you want, you can catch, uh, you can obtain 1-800-MUGGABUG. Right. And I really didn't think anything of it. I just had a regular number at that time. I believe it was 377-2500. Jeez. It was 212. 212 was an area code that encompassed the whole city. It was Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Now it's broken up to 718. And I think there's everybody has so many between the fax machines and the cell phones. We're into three or four different area codes. Mm. When Long Island was only 516, Suffolk and Nassau. Now we have a few. So I didn't take the uh, 1-800-MUGGABUG. I stayed with my number. And I did a very good business starting out giving out flyers and treating people with respect and doing a good job. And then I built up a very big maintenance schedule. 
schedule, which serves people on a monthly uh, uh, routine uh, follow-up. But it is cool since you've worked in exterminating. I mean, you got some some stories, and also you know having having a, a father who's an exterminator. You know, it's I, I've called you. Thank God, living living in the city for five years, I haven't had any issues. But I've called you a couple times, been like, hey, you know, I, I saw a cockroach outside my building. You know, what what can I do? And and you used to tell me. Do you remember what you told me about if you see one cockroach during the day? Yeah, usually what happens is cockroaches are uh, nocturnal. They're uh, pretty much only seen at nighttime. There's plenty of cases that if you get to a house and they're running around during the day, your house is usually infested or, or they nests that you don't know about because they're not going to come out during the day. And they're usually brought in by boxes or bags or shopping or some kind of uh, they hitchhike in the bottom of a uh, box. Uh, cereal, uh, not only that, if you're going shopping and you're going to a liquor store or a grocery and you want to take your items home in a, in a cardboard box, they'll take the ride to the house and that's it. And you can have a clean house. And all of a sudden, two or three roaches, they multiply. So we had to be trained to look for the nest under the sink if there's any damp water and if uh, how to get rid of them in a, in, a, in a day that people don't want to breathe this in. Again, I'm going back to when they had different type of chemicals. And, and if you had to say, so if, if any of my listeners right now are eating, just put your food away for a minute. If you had to say, what was the most disgusting house or most disgusting situation that you had to deal with at Mugabug? There was so many of them. I used to, again, come down with the sprays, which we had years ago called Durisban, Diaznan, Bagon, uh, that you really pretty much have a concentrate. You added like a, a, a small fraction, like a, a, a quarter of an ounce, and everything else was water concentrated in a B&G stainless steel tank. You used mm. to spray all the cracks and crevices, and then we used to put down powder. If it's dry on, or it's almost like a uh, boric acid formula, and what it does, it gets, when the roaches walk over that, they bring it back to the nest and it burns it. It kills the whole nest and they just turn over, they die. Uh, if I, I've had incidents we try to come with bombing. Uh, the fog is a pretty much, a, a fogger is something that it's a can that you spray it away from your face and let, lay it on the floor. And you got to evacuate the house for a few hours, close all the windows. And then with the cabinets open, it kills all the uh, nests mm. and everything. I've been to situations that the fogger was not enough. And I by going over the situation, I tell them we can't use the fogger. You have to use the actual fogging machine. Didn't you tell me that the, the, that the uh, silverfish infestations were particularly disgusting? Yeah, silverfish, uh, roaches, water bugs. What about the bed bugs? The bed bugs bed, probably were pretty well, bad. Well, bed bugs weren't <laughs> bad back in the 60s. The big thing years ago in the projects where they had in the in New York City projects, they were very bad because the houses were attached. If you're living at 3A and you just move into 3B, you have no idea how your neighbor is in 3A and 3D and 3C and the guy on top of you. So the roaches used to come through the walls and they used to come through the pipes and the faucets and up the lines, okay? And uh, this is what brings on, you could be the cleanest person around, but it's hard to get rid of the props. Same thing like a mouse. Yeah. Mouse has no bones. They go through a quarter of an inch yeah. and they squeeze through it and then you can get all everybody else's problem. And when you're bombing, if someone else has a problem, you're going to get stragglers running into your apartment. You know, it's funny. So, I mean, you know this about me. I'm I'm not squeamish. There's not much that disgusts me. I don't really, I don't really mind cockroaches. Mice really freak me out because they got that long tail. They got the whispers. They got that sound like... 
when they're running in the night. Um, and now, I don't know if you read, there was an article in the New York Post, the rat problem in New York City and uh, uh, cities like Philadelphia and D.C. are is, is the worst it's ever been. You know, these rats are living in the sewers, they're nesting, and when with gentrification, what's happening is these um, governments are digging up, um, you know, rat sewage, rat nests, in order to build new developments for rich people to live in. The rats are coming to the surface, they're multiplying, and they're running like crazy. So, you know, we, we talked about how life was different then and now. I think the rat, if you were exterminated in 2019, I would think the rats would be a serious problem. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Rats are pretty much a problem down in the dungeons and the basements of the commercial establishments and the restaurants. For instance, uh, when you went to a Chinese takeout or a small little uh, Korean place and they used to have, uh, at that time, it was in certain areas, they used to have plexiglass when you walked in there. Inside the waiting area, we used to get the food uh, where I used to order. It was graffiti on the walls. It was in a, a shady area. So they used to have a plexiglass thing, of, of, of a cashier they used to turn to put the food through. So if the area where you're ordering from was a mess, you can imagine how the kitchens were. Mm. Kitchens were in very bad shape years ago. We used to fog it. But it was a lifestyle. This is their way of life. They was just so used to some of these restaurants. But the health department used to come down and write them up. Nothing like they have today. You have a rating system. System A, B, C, and D. None we never that. heard of this. Years ago, you had to do a minimum of once a month. Minimum. You can do it once a week. And we used to come down and service the restaurants and sign what chemical you used, where you sprayed, and your initial, and your license was on that. When the inspector came down, he saw you were providing the exterminating services, and that's it. But if you were overrun with them, that was a demerit. That was a mark against. We never had this rating system, how the food was and how cl the cleanliness is. I mean, that's a serious problem with restaurants. Let's, let's, I, I, I know we spent a lot of time in exterminating, but that's just really the, the tip of the iceberg. So you were exterminated for a long time. You mentioned like 10 minutes ago that you did Salvation Army. You're feeding the homeless. You're helping with, with disasters. Um, how does how does that how how does that experience rank amongst the most fulfilling jobs that you've had? Did you enjoy well, that? Was it nice to help people? Well, the helping was all volunteer. I belonged to an association started out called REACT, which is called the Radio Emergency Associated Citizens Team, which we patrolled the area, we assisted stranded motorists, and reported all the incidents to the local police department. Uh, REACT. This is all volunteer. We patrolled the highways. Then I joined up with the 6-9 Precinct community. It was a civilian radio motor patrol. We patrolled the areas almost like auxiliary police. And we enrolled in the training for police. Or like a that. neighborhood watch council? A neighborhood watch, yeah, years ago. And people used to appreciate that. All done on time when you put gas in your car. It was all out of your pocket, your expense. Mm -hmm. And people used to appreciate that. We rode around with CB radios in the car. And if it was an incident, we reported to the local commander who was located in a room in the 6-9 precinct in Canarsie. And in return, if it was an incident that required police assistance, they sent the patrol car down. Because we used to go down streets to patrol when weren't even thinking, like the Brooklyn Terminal Market on Forster Avenue. If we'd seen somebody at that time looking to run into the fence or to do some kind of damage or whatever, uh, we report it. We did this a couple of days a week, all volunteer. And how old were you when you were doing this? Oh, I had to be about 18 or 19. 18? Jesus. So, so you've done like, you know, four of these full-time jobs or volunteer works and you're still only 18. So what was your next big, you know, career uh, phase, oh, your next step? Then I got involved in the radio. I was involved in uh, uh, professional wrestling and uh, refereeing. I put out a record. If you might be able to catch it online, it was an interview with Captain Lou uh, and a night at the garden. Uh, Ronnie Rothman was the promoter, and uh, we uh, 
that at one side uh, it was a, 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 a 45. At that time, they had 45s and 33s, which were albums. We put it out, and it was a side, an interview with Captain Lou. Captain Lou Albano was uh, known as the captain, and he was uh, a wrestler years ago with Tony Altamori. They were known as the Sicilians, and he was a professional wrestling manager, since then died, and he was very much in demand. He also got involved later in years with that Cindy Lauper, so he was a very big I, draw. I think people know Cindy Lauper. I don't think, I don't think people are going to know, unfortunately, Captain Lou or the other individuals you're mentioning. Let's take a step back. How how did you get involved with wrestling? Because you're this, you know, twenty uh, late teens, early twenties. You were an exterminator. You were on the watch. You did the Salvation Army. What drew you to wrestling? What was well, your connection? Well, I, I used to like wrestling. I went to a couple of arenas. One in mind was the Sunnyside Gardens, and I used to hang out, getting to with almost like a groupie. You get to the arena before time, and you used to see at the employees' entrance on the side of the arena the wrestlers coming in. So I used to meet them. They were very friendly years ago. Autographs were no problems. Taking pictures wasn't even a thought. It was a different time years ago. Mm. Nobody rushed in. They appreciated the fans coming out because this is how they made a living. If it wasn't for the fans, they wouldn't exist. So uh, the wrestlers used to talk. One thing led to another. I met a fellow by the name of Professor Elliot Marin, who was on the radio. He, uh, he and me uh, talked. We were talking for a little while. One thing led to another. He brought me down to the radio station uh, one time, and uh, everything else turned out. To, I got my own show, uh, which was with a, fessor, uh, a fellow by the name of Jimmy Mack. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Mack has since then died. He was also into oldies. We hosted a show called The Wide World of Wrestling with a fellow by the name of Lou Edwards. And uh, we did it, at, it was midnight, at, as I mentioned earlier, the WHBI, it was uh, on the FM dial, and we had a tremendous audience. I used to prepare for the show about 11.30, and it used to air about 12, 12.30, it was a half hour, an hour show. We used to take calls, do interviews, pass results, and we used to have live appearances, and we were very well recognized. What, what year was this that you were doing uh, the show? This was probably just, just back to keep, keep us on like a about timeline. 72, 73, 74. Okay, so 72 to 74. It was tremendous. It was a big show. Uh, okay, so there's a big, so you kind of were at the forefront of, of professional wrestling and radio, and I mean, do you have any? Because because you were a referee for professional wrestling, which is another thing that when I tell people, when I tell friends, when people come over to the house that you like to talk about, do you have any any interesting like stories or experiences that you yeah. saw? Well, in the ring at that time, we had the girl wrestlers who were fabulous: Mula, May Young. Uh, the big thing years ago was the tag teams where you had to hold on to the turnbuckles and the ropes before you tag somebody. And a lot of times our backs were turned. They used to get in the ring and used to clobber the other wrestlers. And the people in the audience used to say, didn't you see the guy didn't hold the rope? Yeah. And Little Beaver was there with Sky Lolo and the Tahiti Kid. These were the little midgets. <laughs> I don't, these names don't mean yeah, much Yeah, if you're a wrestling fan or you ask this your mom and dad, years ago. going back about 40-something years ago, they'll recognize the following names, Blackjack Mulligan and Bruno Sammartino and Larry Zabisco and the Sheik, the Sheik, George the Animal Steel and, and, and Boba Brazil and Ken Patera and the Grand Wizard and the Kangaroos, the Blackjacks. Wrestling was so big years ago. All these guys were idols and they had following, almost like a cult following, like a, like a rock group. They, people used to follow them across the states. We were into uh, pretty much radio. We didn't have uh, online. There was no computers years ago. 
All right, so you did the wrestling for for how many years? How many years oh, were you involved? Oh, I was in into that probably about 15 years. 15 years. Right. Were you doing any other work at, at the same time? Or? Yeah, I had a business. I had uh, I had a, uh, I opened up an arcade uh, on Avenue J in Midwood. We called it Isis Queen of Midwood, which we had uh, all year round was uh, open for business. Isis in the winter, uh, in the summertime. In the winter, we had hot chocolates and soup, and we had 20 video arcade games. Uh, that the kids used to go. We were right next to it at that time was the Midwood Theater. The Midwood Theater was very well known on Avenue J in Midwood, Brooklyn, because every year they charged the price of admission for the year. If it was 78, it was 78 cents, 79 cents, 80 cents. So people used to line up and directly next door to the Midwood Theater was Martin's Fish Store and Ice's Queen of Midwood. Mm -hmm. So people used to come in and play the video games. It was fantastic. We had a tremendous audience there. We did very well. That was a business. Then I got involved in selling concert material. We used to follow groups like Queen, Far, and ELO with concert stuff that we used to uh, uh, follow them with T-shirts and pennants and uh, and uh, all kind of uh, uh, memorabilia or or, uh, or souvenirs, I should say. All right. So you did. You mentioned you did the wrestling for a while. You did the the Isis Queens. Um, you opened the, the store, the arcade. You know. At that time, you were how old? You know, when you were wrapping that up, like twenty five. Yeah, early twenties. So, I mean, what was what, what was your your state of mind? You know, if you could take take a freeze frame snapshot of how you were feeling then. You know, you you had worked in exterminating, you had worked in wrestling. Um, what did you learn from those experiences? And and you know, why did you pivot to something else? Why didn't you just want to stay? doing wrestling forever i like variety i stayed with different businesses for a while i like waking up knowing it was my thing i built up the business for instance when i had a tire shop i had another business a tire shop near kennedy airport rockaway tire mm -hmm. and we had tires we fixed uh, flat tires and then uh, we tried that business for all we built it up and sold it then i had another hero store hero king of uh, Hero King of Queens, which was a 147 on Rockaway Boulevard near Kennedy Airport. I tried that business for a while. And then I tried another business, which was uh, Old Time Soda. We bought a route uh, for uh, take care of the area of uh, Sheepshead Bay, Brighton Beach, Brooklyn, and Manhattan Beach. We were selling Old Time Soda and at the beginning stages of Avian Water. Mm -hmm. So I built up that one. And I sold, I just like variety. I like changing things not saying i'm working behind a desk for 30 years i just like to say oh you know i'm getting a little tired of this business let me move on yeah so my friend jeremy and i we did an episode we did on episode nine you might listen to where we talked about the nine to five life like going to work every morning you know spending eight hours behind a desk and repeating the same thing the next day so it sounds like you right you know it was monotonous you, you didn't do that so I mean, what was your next big, big venture after you did um, wrestling? Did you pivot to... Well, then I also got involved... Did the, the ASPCA or was that... Uh, yeah, I did some more volunteer work for the SPCA. And what's the ASPCA? SPCA is the Society of Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, which we uh, basically were based out in Nassau, and we went to cruelty cases. If a person was not feeding a dog, no shelter in a nasty day, no food and water, uh, people used to uh, have a short leash... Uh, uh, and uh, you're supposed to let the dog have a freedom area to run around and the neighbors used to call up so we used to show up as a peace officer I went for peace officer training that had to be really depressing uh, to see, yeah to I see seen a lot of cases. cases yeah neglect people going away on a vacation and leaving the dog 
and an area with 85 degrees, almost like a locked car in the backyard with no shelter. Mm. So the dog only can go to so many corners. He had four corners, and he's trying to get out of the shade, which was maybe under a tree. Heartbreaking. Uh, so I showed up, and I just basically uh, gave the guy some, the neighbor, some uh, knowledge. So, uh, did you I, give him a I, citation? No, no. I try to just give him some knowledge and and uh, and and. and Tell them the right thing to do about what you have to do if you have a pet. Otherwise, we're going to show back again, and you will get a violation, and you're going to have to show up in court because these things were violations. It's cruel to animals. Did the you ever see animals. someone that was like just flat out abusing the animal? Yeah, we had we had quite a few of them that just abusing them. The, uh, the houses that had twenty and thirty cats, and you walked in the house, there was a tremendous odor, and there's only so much you can do. And these people were animal lovers, but they were doing more harm because there were fleas in the house mm. and there was some kind of situation the cats were basically running throughout and hiding in the closets and dog abuse and we had to, I went to a lot of uh, they had pit bull incidents we did and we had a lot of incidents I was involved with cockfights that they had the roosters uh, 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 which was illegal and they used to have in basements of apartments and they used to put the different uh, 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 claws uh, 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 pins on the bottom of uh, roosters and they used to fight with each other so that was illegal and and then I went to give uh, lectures to uh, the, a couple of the police academies because I had this in background I went for training in the SPCA I was a, an investigator which was called a uh, state uh, police officer so we were trained and we had to be respected. We had a uniform also. So when were you, was this after the, the wrestling? Yeah, after the wrestling, So, so what, yes. what, what year, about what year were this you in This was probably in the, in the 80s. In the 1980s, I did this. For, for how long did you do that? I did this probably for a few years. I thought it was a good deed. I liked doing <laughs> this. A good deed. That's like putting my, it lightly. Yeah, I mean, like, my, like my days with the Salvation Army. And then one day also in the 80s, I uh, used to like the old time music. Uh, try to make a long story short as I could. I uh, went down to a club in Brooklyn and I seen a look-alike, sound-alike uh, band that was performing Beatles songs, hmm. dressed like them, putting on almost like Beatlemania. And I went to the manager uh, after the show and I said, you know, this is very unique. You're playing in a terrible uh, uh, venue here, a basement. You could be uh, performing in clubs. Right. He says, well, uh, how do you speak of this knowledge? Uh, because, you know, something, I have a little connection that probably can get you places. And he liked what he heard. And I basically uh, got together with the group at that time. It was a John, George, uh, Paul, and Ringo lookalikes. Mm -hmm. And one thing led to another, and I managed them. And what that did is I got them engagements uh, to... Uh, uh, I opened myself up to volunteer ambulance companies and schools that used to uh, donate a preceding uh, proceeds to the, of the gate to the charity. If it's a volunteer uh, ambulance or a volunteer fire department or it's a school. Uh, and then uh, I sent uh, the uh, videotapes. It was that time it was, uh, it was called uh, VHS tapes yeah. uh, to a couple of talent agencies. And we performed in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. And different fairs. If you go out into Cleveland, Ohio, in certain areas like Cuyahoga County and certain areas, they have like fairs for two weeks. And we opened up for Tiny Tim. And I have a lot of pictures in my room. If you remember Tiny Tim with Tiptoe through the Tulip Days, you married to Miss Vicky on the Carson Show years ago. That was an honor to meet him. Yeah, I think a lot of people probably know. Yeah. Like I've heard of Tiny Tim, maybe not yes. know his music. Yeah, since then he died. He lived in the Alcott Hotel up on Central Park West. 
and uh, we got close to him, and he was a very unique fella, and people used to come out because he was a headliner. When you go to a show, you say who's performing, and oh, Tiny Tim, and then we opened up, and then they seen the Beatles show, so I got a lot of bookings. For these shows in the in the fairs, so I enjoy. I did that also for a while and as the manager. It's amazing, like just hearing, you know, mm-hmm. the industries. You're not even. It's not even that you're jumping from you know one musical job to another. You know, you you worked in sports, in broadcasting, and media. Now suddenly you're in, uh, you know, bookings for uh, a musical group. Um, at, right after doing the animal protection work. So that's, I mean, that that uh, you've done. I mean, we're not even done with what you've done, but right, right, right then and there, that, that's more than most people have done in, yes. in a lifetime. So, what was your what was your next step after that? And I got involved uh, for a short time. My friend opened up a plastic slipcover place. Uh, uh, just at that time, years and years ago, your parents and grandparents would know plastic covers was something that you'd put on a sofa chair and love seat mm. to preserve the life of the uh, furniture. Uh, even though when you get up, you're taking the covers with you, you to stick to them. So, 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 so what, what kind of a 180 is that? So you go from booking the Beatle group with Tiny Tim to now you're just sitting on a couch and you're like, you know what? I can make a business out yeah, of this. Yeah, well, my friend opened up a business. He liked the way I talked. I was always a good salesperson. He says, let me take you on. We'll do the slip covers. So we used to go to a lot of houses and I used to sell slip covers uh, to, to people's homes. And, uh, and that was a big item, to, uh, the plastic slipcovers. You it can't was, make this up. I mean, you watch Seinfeld, right? This sounds like mm-hmm. sounds like George Costanza a little bit, like just thinking right. up some of these yeah. some of these jobs. So you did the slipcovers. You're what for are a you little now, time. Like late twenties. Late twenties. I also so was uh, a little older than me. Yeah, I went for my chauffeur's license. My brother used to own a cab, and the days he wasn't uh, uh, performing uh, his uh, duty to pick up people in the yellow cab. Because uh, well, he had to be licensed to drive a cab, I used to, uh, ha- to hire the cab. They called it horse hiring years ago. So I took the cab out, uh, and uh, I was a yellow cab driver. It was a checker cab. They had big checker cabs years ago. It was a big cab. I did that for a while. So how, how long were you a cab driver? Uh, I'd say about six months. Did you ever drive around someone famous or so, some, someone yeah. you recognized? Well, uh, yeah. Well, my other days, I met people like it was Stanley Siegel, Joe Franklin. But I never actually picked up anybody. No, right? not Danger field. I met these people in my my rounds, in my travels. That's always interesting when someone rides a cab, asking them like, "Oh, who's been in this?" You know, you hear, especially in New York, people are bounced because all of these jobs were in New York City. We're in Brooklyn yes, so far. Yes, Brooklyn and Manhattan and Queens. And did you have any uh, any like crazy experiences when you were driving? Anyone who you know trying to do any nefarious activity in your cab? No, those days we never had any incidents. Everything was pretty much when you get in the cab, you push the meter down, it started, and you brought him to the destination. Mm. If it was a if it was an airplane uh, uh, a ride, they had to get to Kennedy LaGuardia, or if they had to go from downtown Brooklyn to up Manhattan. We never had the the, uh, the surveillance and the cameras or worrying about the, this guy is going to cause an incident or run out of the cab without paying. It was yeah. different times in the seventies and eighties. Uh, you know, we never thought about never. So you were a cab driver for six months, and then what was your what was your next venture? Mm. Then I uh, I'm trying to think. Afterwards, uh, I told you about the uh, plastic slipcover days, and then I uh, uh, had the arcade, uh, uh, which was uh, Isis Queen of Midwood. I told you about that mm-hmm. one also. Right. Uh, let's just see what else I did. 
Uh, and and you're, you're about 30, you're early 30s now? In the 30s, I, was pr- I stayed about 20 years full-time on the exterminator because that was a lucrative business. This was something that was needed full season. Right. Remember, uh, insects are summer-prone. <laughs> right. Wintertime is rodents, squirrels, and rats, and mice. You're going to see a reduction on the insects because they can't put up with the cold weather. Right. Unless, of course, they're in an apartment building where the, where the thermostat had turned up to 70s, they'll survive. Okay, so so in the down seasons for exterminating, you were doing some of these other these other projects. So now it's about 1986, uh, another mm-hmm. n- another great year. Um, the late 80s, and, and what are you up to at this time? Well, I also opened up a, a store on Avenue D in Schenectady called Nervous Breakdown. Nervous that Breakdown. W- Any connection to Nervous Habits podcast? Well, no, no connection. <laughs> I've ever had a, a, a always. Name. Always had a nervous uh, a metabolism, so they you took that name. We named it was an old. It was a convenience store on the corner of Schenectady and D. I tried that for a while. I will say, in part, the, I, I named it Nervous Habits. My podcast yeah. as an homage to your nervous, oh. your nervous uh, breakdown store. It's no, because I, I've you know we're very similar in, in that sense in the nervous, nervous uh, temper, <laughs> nervous temperament. Um, all right, so you did. So, so you said a candy store. Uh, that was like uh, that was a convenience store. It was like pretty much the, uh, that was the early lottery days when it started years ago. And uh, cigarettes, papers, uh, candy, popcorn, the steward sandwiches already pre-made that you warm them up in a uh, oven. They used to give you. And then I also had a, a, a vending route uh, similar to Foles vending that I used to put the uh, gumball machines. You probably recall as a kid, uh, every machine had a rack of four uh, uh, gumballs that was usually red, and they sold inside the, either chiclets or gum or a Super Bowl or a plastic novelty that the kids used to say, I want to get that little item. It's a Gumby. Mm. Uh, and at that time, it was a penny nickel dime. We never heard of a quarter. Uh, so, so you put a penny in there, you get a gumball. Or you get a nickel, you get a handful of M&Ms. It's got to be air conditioning right out of the sun. Hmm. Or a, a dime was a novelty, a plastic capsule. And I used to solicit locations where it was always best to get a grocery store or an A&P because you got a lot of traffic. When I was a kid, they had gumball machines everywhere. I don't know, like in 2019, I don't know if today. I see them anymore. Not so much, but they were in demand because... Really? Coming out of the supermarket, the parents sure. always had extra change, and the parents were looking for their kids. And at the yeah. front door, the kid was looking at the gumball machine. Yeah. So in order to quiet the kid down or loosen him up, you had to give him the loose change from the grocery. So you gave him the nickels and dimes, and he threw it in there. Make a kid happy. And uh, then I had a, a video game route. I bought a handful of video games, and we that was a 50-50. You give the, the location operator owner 50%, then we did 50%. The uh, the uh, novelty machines for the candy that was twenty five and thirty percent because we just used it for the location. We're servicing and also putting our merchandise in. And we it, actually have an old video game machine in the basement. One yes. of the one of the the, uh, the souvenirs from those days in the eighties. So so you're doing the the so you did the candy store. Then you're on the vending route with the gumball machines and the video games. And I mean, were you, were you not sleeping? Were you were you, like how were you how were you balancing all I was, these different projects? Well, I was young, you know. We had good health. I had oh, you a were lot in your of thirties at the time. Yeah, I never had issues at all. Basically, I worked my twelve to fourteen hour days, waking up at seven thirty eight, heading out to whatever job, and getting home usually between eight and ten at night, going to sleep, and the next day all over again. But it was interesting, and uh, people used to come up to me and say, "This is a nice business," or "I like this business." You treat people with respect, and you had a good item. And we had a lot of people. 
And, and, and I just like the different changeover, the variety. So you're kind of saying that part of your moving from job to job, what's helped you with those transitions has been the human connections. You meet someone in one line of work, you know, selling gumball machines, and suddenly when you want to set up a candy store or go into, you know, booking a music group, you can use that connection. Right. Would you agree with that? Yes. Yes, that sounds right. You can use that as a connection. And then moving out to the island here 20-something years ago, I settled down. Uh, my exterminating company was basically too far for me to travel because the majority of my accounts were built up in the Manhattan, Queens, and Brooklyn. Since living out Suffolk, 50-something miles traveling every day was not worth it. So I just basically started selling some of the accounts off. And then I said, you know, what can I do? So this was, this was in the early 90s. So you have you, you settle down, you get married, you're in, let's see, you're like 30, 34, 35. Um, you get married, you settle down, you have kids, you move out to Long Island. So why, I mean... Uh, I gave up the exterminating and I said, what can I do? So I thought of something different. Uh, let's check on a hot dog vending truck, which was sandwiches. So I picked up a mobile uh, a travel unit, which is like a mobile home, which people travel, a camper. And uh, you, we made it into a, uh, uh, a hot dog sandwich unit that you pull over at a location and people pull there for lunch. At that time, I was on, I believe it was 112. Okay, okay. So, so you're still in Brooklyn with this hot dog truck? If, yes. No, no, no. That's when we moved out to the island. I said I gave up the exterminating. Back in the 90s, I moved out here. All right. So, so I guess take a step back for a second. Why, you know, you, you've had all these different lucrative businesses. You're getting married. You ha- you're having, you know, you have two children at the time, myself and older sister Tara. Holly's not born yet. When did, you know, why did you want to leave New York City where, where, you know, you've called home your whole life and, and start over on Long Island? Well, it was a rough thing. I had to decide as I'm getting older to raise a family in a different environment, uh, not so busy. The streets were congested. The stores were crazy. It started to just change the environment, the times in the 90s. And I say, you know what, let's decide to get out. So we looked for an area which was a nicer suburban town to get out and to see what's going on. And that's what I decided to uh, pick up that uh, mobile truck and say, let me try food vending. Mm-hmm. I went for my license was a street vendor license, and I did that for a little while. And then I said, you know, I'm looking more to uh, at uh, what was about uh, 40 something years old to uh, do uh, maybe a uh, a position with benefits and maybe to retire with. And I applied for a uh, government position for the post office. Wait, wait, time out. So, so before we, we do the post office, you, you skipped over the the security business. What security? The ADT. Oh yeah, I so, did that so, also. So, so time because sure there's time. so much. We're like, you know, we're all over the place. So you got the mobile truck. You moved to Long Island, and then at what point? Now we're in the early '90s. At what point did you start uh, selling ADT security systems? Uh, I seen an ad in the paper one day, and I said, uh, "Let me just check on sales." Since I had sales background from my days of slipcovers and alarms were pretty much a different world. You know, years ago, 40 years ago, if you've seen somebody with an alarm in a house, this guy must be a multimillionaire. He's, <laughs> he's got something to protect. Who has a security? We never call them. We call them uh, uh, security alarms. No, we call them the burglar alarms right. in the house. Now it's security. Uh, burglar alarm in the house. So then I said ADT, which is basically a very, very well-recognized, authorized, big, tremendous name throughout the country, had an opening for uh, for salespeople in the towns. So I went for a, a seminar, a course, and they liked what they seen, and I, I was an ADT sales rep. 
I went to homes and I tried to tell them that this is the best thing. It's affordable. We're paying at that time nineteen ninety five, which you get full coverage with a with a uh, monitoring device. You had a uh, 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 contacts on your door. There was uh, the, uh, contacts on your window, and you had the uh, the motion detectors. Mm-hmm. And I had an easy sell. I was selling two or three a day mm. at that time, and of course, all there was it was a free installation. It was just a monthly monitoring, which if the alarm goes off, the monitor or whoever's the receptionist operator calls you to let you know your alarm is going off. What is your code? Is it you? Uh, can you prove it's you? If not, we're going to send the police down because there's a burglar going on. So I used to, I did that for a little while. All right. So, so you're, you're, you know, a, a new dad, you have two kids, Holly, Holly's born not long after, after me. Um, you're, you're settled on Long Island, you're doing ADT and you mentioned a minute ago that you wanted a stable job with benefits. So you looked into government positions. So what, what, why and, and when and what was your thinking behind, um, you know, pursuing a job at the post office? Well, again, uh, I always knew it always pays to have a civil state or a government job. It's uh, it's always something that you have something down the road with a pension, good coverage, 401 savings and or thrift savings. And of course, a, uh, a benefit, which you're going to get good coverage for health. So I said, I'm a good at an age of 40 something, had to be 41, 42. And I went down, I said, the post office is hiring. And the uh, only thing you have to take is a written test. There was no physical needed, a strength physical. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were hiring for clerks, carriers, mail handlers, or to work in the plant. And I said, let me check out the job to be a mail carrier, uh, which out on the island, it's either driving a truck or walking or driving a truck, which is mounted. All the boxes are at curbside. The only time you get out is when you have a package or a certified letter. So I took the test, I passed it, and they called me. And uh, now I'm about 19 years later, still working. I'd like to another, stay another year or so. And I work my five days a week delivering to a, to a nice exclusive area. And uh, we do very well. The mail volume is down over the years. It's not our father's post office, remember. It's since the internet's taken place. Mm-hmm. People are paying their bills online or on the telephone. Years ago, you paid your Visa, your MasterCard, or your mortgage over the first-class mail. Yeah, I so, don't think anyone's anyone's paying the bills over the phone. Yeah. But but your point is well taken. Now you have Amazon Prime. I know you deliver a lot of them. Yes. Uh, FedEx, UPS, a lot of these other competing private organizations that are, are dominating um, that that industry. So you know you, you you've been a mailman for I think longer than than you've done any other jobs. Yeah. Um, what's you know what 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 has been the most enjoyable part of it, and what's been what's been the the you know the reason why you want to retire soon? Well, it's nice. The job itself is a nice, respected government job. People respect you. You people see you in the streets. They respect the mailman. You get all the gossip. You know when people basically are hearing, uh, 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 say for instance, there's bar mitzvahs going on. This one has a sweet 16. There's a wedding invitation. This one's having trouble. Oh, there's a subpoena coming. This one throw 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 the traffic light. Oh my goodness. This, this, one's, this one's getting a, a lawyer's note. So I see everything going on being a mailman. But you're not opening mail because that's, no. that's a failure. No, but you see from the return addresses who's getting warrants and who's getting certified letters and the good things are happening is a baby being born. And unfortunately, I see a lot of cards. It can't be a birthday. Somebody passed away, you know. So oh, no, I didn't mean to laugh. I'm sorry. You know, was, so the idea, you know, so the whole thing is a good job. It's well-respected. I make a lot of contacts. And uh, about a year or two later, that's when I've started my current business, which is the uh, magazine business. So why, I mean, you know, you're working 40 hours a week. 
you're settling down, you've had a hundred jobs, which we've talked about. Why are you then deciding that you're going to start another business to do on the side when you're working full time as a post office? No, actually, I'm wrong. The magazine business, I started a couple of years earlier. This was 97. So before you joined the post office? Yes, I did the magazine 97. Post office, I joined up in 2000. But I make uh, the magazine business uh, and I deliver which is unbelievable, too. I can say I'm delivering my own product when it goes out in the mail to the homeowners. How many people can say that? Mm-hmm. I see everything going behind the scenes. It's like being a doctor and seeing a loved one in the emergency room and taking care of the person. Yeah. I see my mail being basically delivered by myself and the people as a delivery piece. I mean, how many people can say that? I'm delivering my own piece in one of my towns. So, so, so you're, you know, you're passionate about... Um, helping consumers, saving money, all that kind of thing. So you decided, I'm going to put all my experience and knowledge together. I'm going to make a coupon magazine and help people save. Right, which is basically a franchise. I got together with somebody many years back by the name of John Hopkins, who uh, who got a liking to me. We met at ADT. He's a senior fellow. He had to be at that time well into the 70s. And he says, uh, uh, Jay, I just went into uh, job opportunities. There's somebody who's looking to start a uh, coupon magazine back in the late 90s. He says, this would be perfect for you. You you can sell ice in the winter. You know something? Come and come to me to you the seminar. You can sell ice in the winter. Yeah. So he says to me, let's take a look and see what's going on. One thing led to another. We bought into the franchise. And then people said to me, uh, you know something? This is a good item, a coupon magazine. What it is, it's all local values. It's a hometown magazine for savings from the local pizzerias to the to the uh, McDonald's to the to the uh, restaurants on board. If you needed a tree uh, a tree uh, service or an exterminating company or a paving company, it's all local people and they offering values values that they give you a percentage off a reason for you to call them rather than going in the phone book and calling a competitor. You're going to get an incentive some kind of one-time promotional offer, and it worked. I started doing 16 pages in the 90s, and now I'm doing between 48 and 52 pages over 20 years later, three times the size. That shows you how I excelled in this business for a reason, because print media isn't like the way it was 20 years ago. A lot of print magazines have went out of business, and newspapers but the reason why I've been doing well and I'm three times the size, my secret is I put a lot of food in there, which everybody has to eat. Everybody's got to eat. So, no doubt about it. So if you're going to put home value in there, an exterminating or a paving company or something along the lines of backyard cleanup, and you're a senior and you're a renter, you have no value. You're throwing it out. But if you put food in there, everybody has to eat, and the shelf life is extended for about four months. Okay? And what that means is my product comes out in a seasonal a spring, summer, mailing, a fall, and a winter. Mm-hmm. So it's not a weekly that people say, oh, you know something, pass me this week, see me next week. I do a seasonal. So every smart advertiser who owns a business wants to get in because it's a valuable product that stays in the home for four months. I'm not picking up a check every week. I'm picking it up three times a year or twice a year. And okay, so so you mentioned that, that you've been, um, you've stuck to print media for, and we talked about this uh, in, in, our, in our earlier segment. You've stuck to print media for the duration of, of the um, of the business, even as your competitors and in other industries have gone online. As you look to the future of the magazine of Premium Shopping Guide and Squire Publishing, could you see like an electronic 
um, you know, business, or or do you think you're entrenched enough with the print that this is going to be what you're what you're what you're doing for the time being? It's possible. You know, ten years ago, I researched another product. I was thinking about when I was in Brooklyn years ago, calendars were a very big thing, were given out by restaurants and banks and attorneys and insurance companies. Everybody needs a calendar, no matter what, if you're advanced with the computers. So I started a premium uh, community calendar, which is basically in my 10th year. And when I first approached my advertisers 10 years ago, I said, I'm going to be mailing a calendar with a lot of the local pictures for the town, and it's going to be only about that town created and designed for the town. They immediately came on board. Most people said, fantastic idea. So in the interim, I'm also doing a few calendars in my time off from the post office and my days off and my vacation weeks. Yeah, and uh, and, and we actually have a guest on the podcast right now, um, our our uh, little Westie puppy Boston is sitting here, so if he happens to, to squeak or or bark, then then you know that he's he's got an opinion. So you've okay. So you've you've done. I mean, we've covered a, a lot here. You've done exterminating. You worked in you know a restaurant. You worked uh, for the Salvation Army, the the Animal Protection for Cruelty. You know, you did wrestling. You did security sales. Um, you did uh, working for the Postal Service and the magazine. As you kind of reflect on your life, um, you know, you had your 60th birthday a couple of years back. As you reflect on having worked for 40, you know, almost 50 years, uh, half a century. I mean, 50 years, yes. What's been the, the highlight, the highest point, and what's been the lowest point for you as, as you think about what you've experienced? Well, I've always uh, liked animals, of course. You're holding. Uh Boston. Wish, the, we had, wish we had this on video. Yeah. Cute, very cute. Boston is the West Highland Terrier. That's him. You know, I've had about four or five dogs. I've always wanted three pets in my life. I told you I had a monkey. And then prior, uh, when I had the Rosie the monkey, I uh, uh, also purchased another monkey uh, a couple of years later, Oscar. So I had an after Rosie, I had Oscar. And then I always wanted a big dog. So I purchased a dog that got the 250 pounds in the canine corral in Huntington, which was a St. Bernard. Uh, we uh, like called Beethoven, it. Beethoven, if we, you saw yes, Beethoven. Yes, yes, exactly. Like the very friendly, big St. Bernard uh, that he lived about 10 years, the extent of the big dogs. It was an excellent dog with children. And then I always wanted to get a couple of tropical birds, which I got. At the present time, we have uh, uh, we have uh, two birds, which is a scarlet macaw ruby and a blue and gold macaw george. I've had almost tw- uh, 20 years. Yeah, we've talked, uh, <laughs> I talked a couple episodes back about the parrots. People are, are very familiar with those. So, so you're an animal lover. So would you say the highlight had, was working on uh, animal cruelty was that was that your highest point? What you enjoyed the most? Well, you know, again in life, you know, it is a cast of characters. I've talked about that too. I yes. borrowed from you in my fourth episode. Yes, and you know, I met so many people, and not staying in the same nine to five desk, traveling on the railroad, and then back to, to just handling a person's phone call uh, if a person wants to reflect on the, their uh, uh, business activity or whatever. I just. Try different businesses, from the food business to the exterminating business to uh, to the, the printing business. It, it's it's been uh, very exciting. A lot of people never would go through something like this. Yeah, for, I completely agree with you. So, the, so what I'm hearing is the is the high point. You know, the the most enriching part is the human connections you've made. Yes. And what, what's been the lowest point? Has it taken its toll emotionally on you, moving from job to job? Has it been stressful? Yeah, as you get older, you know, you have stress and anxiety in you. You know, because sometimes. You take a little more than you can bargain for. The hours 
uh, sleepless nights, you know, from going, everybody wants an eight to 10 hour uh, sleep uh, per night. But, you know, I've gotten many days even four or five hours because you have to cut it short. You got to be up the next day, you know, but uh, the whole thing is I've enjoyed it. You know, and then uh, my uh, long-term goal would be after retiring from the post office, sticking with the uh, shopping guide and pro- probably uh, pursuing a different territory and expanding with the calendars and or magazines since I've been doing this over 20 years. I have my foot in the door, so I should have no problem being accepted. And right now you mentioned sleep. We, we, you know, we talked about that a few episodes ago, which you should listen to that one on, on how much sleep you need. I mean, you know, you're, you're working, doing double time working these two jobs. How much sleep do you get every night? Well, I try to average a minimum five hours, sometimes six, you know, because uh, it's hard. You know, when you go to sleep, uh, I try to make 11 o'clock. I usually wake up at 4.30. So I try to, 11, 11.30 is a cutoff. Uh, you know, I don't like to get, I have to do my paperwork after the post office and uh, when I'm home for the day. So by the time I'm getting home, it's also an hour and a half, two hours of paperwork. And you got to unwind and you have to give your body a chance to recharge. You can't just go home, eat dinner and go to sleep. Got to right. stay up a few hours, so that's why I'm up till about 11 o'clock before I begin the next day at 4.30. Yeah, yeah. My dad will always tell me. He'll be like, oh, you know, I slept in this weekend. I'm like, oh, you, you know, woke up at 10, 11. He'll say, no, I slept in. I woke up at 6.30. Right. woke up at 7 o'clock. <laughs> that's leaving in. So it's just funny. I mean, hearing your experiences, obviously, um, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit younger than you, but I, I've had a similar path. I mean, I've, I've had a number of jobs the last five years in the city and part-time jobs, so it seems like... I'm kind of walking the, a similar path that you did, um, having worked in, in so many industries. What do you think about that? Right. You have an uh, ambition to go uh, about uh, going to college and taking on your career, which is very good. You tried a few jobs. You've seen one was for you and one wasn't for you. you right. know? And you try. You know, a lot of people just to go through lives and they try different positions. I just liked it because it was just a change in everyday activities. Mm. And it was a totally different clientele, and some businesses were exceptional and well. Some businesses, again, it was a little slower than usual. But if you build up a good business, the first year is the hardest. You'll expand, and you'll uh, and, and and things will work out. Yeah, and I promised our listeners that we'd get some Jayism sprinkled uh, out here. So there's some things that you say, um, some mottos or, or you know truisms you live by that you know you're you're very passionate about. You talked about. How important it is? Would you say like like if you see a dollar on the street, everyone's gonna pick it up? That's a big one for you. And then health, health is something that that we've spoken about right. a lot. I know that you're opinionated on that. Yes, health to me is number one. Uh, to me, we're only here on a short visit. We're passing through. You know, you wake up every day, you and you get out of bed. You only hope for a good day. You know, and uh, this is number one. As you get older, you'll understand that you're younger. You take things for granted, and you're invincible. You know, you're playing stickball <laughs> and you run into stickball. a fence. And if you run into that fence when you're 17 years old, you know what happens? You get up and you dust yourself off. No big deal. You try running into that fence today when you're 55 and 60, you can barely get up and you'll see the next day you got black and blue marks on your feet. And I tell people health is number one because for a reason, you know, money-wise, if you fall behind one of your bills, you can always pay it a month late. You can pay that bill a month late. Once your health goes, nothing matters. That's why we're saying we're only passing through. Yeah, and yeah, I talk about that quite a bit, and I talked about that in the 13th episode about the, the finality of life and, and death and, and, and all of that stuff that I think, you know, I, I just rubbed off on me. 
And you know, in terms of, of happiness, do you have any advice for our listeners about how to how to find happiness in your own life? Well, you got to do what's best for yourself. Family, friends first. You know, you always try to got to keep a close knit family. I met a lot of fr- friends on the uh, the route. I met a lot of senior citizens. And as you get older, you usually ask a senior, you know, what they got planned. And they tell you, on Wednesday, I got to see this doctor, and Friday, I got to see this doctor, you know? And again, you got to just try to take care of yourself. Uh, limit your drinking, uh, your smoking, if any, there's totally something that's going to do damage down the road, and your fried foods, things like that. Try to keep yourself and your weight down. I've been the same 145, 150 pounds. <laughs> You're sharing your weight with the, with yeah, the listeners. So, I've so been they, the, they can paint a picture. I've been the same weight since I'm 17 years old. I guess it's in the metabolism. Yeah. I don't well. gain weight. Some people, they have a piece of cake and they run to the scale. <laughs> I've pretty much been the same weight for years. Yeah, well, I appreciate your sharing that um that that's interesting. Well, I, I think it is cool that you know you've had all these jobs and now you're working as a mailman and it gives you a chance to meet people from different walks of life. You mentioned you talk to a senior and you're you know hearing about what what their week and then you're talking to a young person and you know with the magazine business you're talking to a store owner. So it's a nice like conglomeration of of all these different people. Um and you know what do you think about? I mean, we talked about um, happiness and and kind of as as a last, uh, you know, one of the final questions here. What do you think about how to live the best life? Because we're in we're in such a a an age right now where our time, our attention are constantly in demand by the internet and social media and the phones and the notifications. And there's so much, you know, uh, draining our attention. How can people stay focused on what's important in, in this society? It's difficult. It's difficult. You know, I feel terrible for the next generation. You know, years ago when you went to high school, you had a good job waiting for you. And if you went to college, you know, come to the front of the line. We have something for you right now. Now today, these people are overqualified four years of college and they can't find anything. So I don't know what's going to be for the next generation. It's scary. Yeah, it's very, very scary uh, because we don't know. Uh, you know, if you had a high school diploma, it was a good job. Today, I'm telling you, all this extra schooling, I can't say what it's doing for a lot of people. I mean, most of your jobs, to be honest, most of your jobs, you didn't really need the extra schooling for. Like, you Not know, the all. wrestling referee, the radio, the I mean, you had to take tests and everything. But, right. you know, uh, like you said, there are people with master's degrees and law degrees that are sitting home unemployed, pay, you know, paying off their debt. Um are there any other truisms? I mean, we talked about health is wealth is a big one of yours. Worker from way back when, you're you're hard worker. Are there any other mottos that you that, that you repeat that, that you? Uh, There's so many. Uh, you caught me off guard now. Of course, you know, but uh, it's the best time, best way to catch you. Right? Thing, you, know. you know, the good thing is having a good name and a reputation in life that you can walk down the street not knowing someone's coming after you, and you can sleep comfortable. Just be honest and sincere and treat people with respect, mm. because if you do somebody a wrong way, you'll always run into them somehow. If it's in the middle of Grand Union in Nebraska or somewhere down the road at a street fair, you always want to be honest and treat people with respect and do the right thing. Do you think most people are honest and sincere today or no? Well, you know, it's hard to say. You know, people I deal with are fair people. You know, your reputation is everything. Okay. You want to treat people because that's your biggest thing, you know. And me, advertising, the best advertising is word of mouth. And I get a lot of referrals. And I've had the same people with me for years because I treat them well. I treat them with respect and they like dealing with me. Mm. If you do something wrong, it's going to catch up with you in time. If Maybe not this week, next year. 
Okay, so we've, uh, let's kind of wrap up here. We, we've covered a lot of ground. At the end of the episodes, I like to kind of summarize everything we've discussed. So we started off, we talked about the, the differences in generations between the baby boomers in the 60s and 70s and millennials and Gen Z today. You talked about how um, there was stickball and your mom would call, would call you in for dinner and would say, Jay, you know, come in. And there was, you know, the community, people were eating every day. Today, people are addicted to the phones. You talked about that, you know, how you have the flip phone, the dinosaur. Um, and that was the main source of, of distinction there. We talked about your history with the different jobs, starting off, you know, working part time, going into exterminating. You had some great stories with with, with that and the uh, wrestling years, moving all the way to today with with the postal service and how you felt the variety was a key to your experiences. And finally, you know, we discussed um, the importance of, of health. And you know, being honest and sincere, <laughs> your reputation. Um, there's a good book, by the way, one of my favorite books. It's called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Have you heard of it? No. It's by a guy named Dale Carnegie, and he says, and this is this is one of the most. This and the Bible, I think, are, are like the most widely read books ever printed. And Dale Carnegie talks about how, literally, you know, what, what Jay Rosen thought of in, in you know his life. Dale Carnegie in the you know in the beginning of the the 1900s would talk about reputation being everything, being lavish in your praise and hearty in your approbation. He talked about remembering names. So I think you would enjoy that 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 book. So anyway, is there anything else that, that you want to mention as, as we kind of can wrap up and, and summarize the discussion for, for the listeners here? No, I've had an interesting uh, 50 years that I met people, like I told you, from the uh, days of the uh, uh, beverage distributorship to the uh, managing the uh, Beatle, uh, 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 sound like it was the Beatle magic, they called them. And a lot of these things you might be able to find online because uh, as I spoke to my friend from Brooklyn, Rizzo, years back, he told me, he said, somebody brought up the wrestling that they were uh, reminding you or looking for something. Whatever happened to the old uh, whatever happened to? Whatever happened to? To this fellow years ago. So I have a lot of good memories. And that's the power of the internet is is it can preserve a lot of these these memories that are lost. You know, you, you, uh, some, you know 100 years from now, someone will look online and say, hey, isn't that Jay Rosen that did that show with Captain Lou and, you know, Jimmy Mack? Um, so, yeah, I mean, this has been a, a great discussion. Um, next week, we uh, have an exciting episode planned. We are, uh, we're kind of refining the details, so I'm not going to um, acknowledge the, the topics of this time, but promise you it's going to be worth listening to, and that's going to be coming up next on Nervous Habits. Dad, it's been a pleasure having this discussion with you. Any final thoughts? My pleasure. I your, wish you the pleasure? best in life and a good career and nothing but good health for you and your listeners. Oh, okay. Well, you heard it from, from uh, you know from the horse's mouth there. Um, this has been Nervous Habits Podcast. Please email us if you have any questions. For Jay, um, you can reach me and, and him by extension at nervoushabitspodcast.gmail.com. Also, follow me on Instagram at nervoushabitspodcast. Uh, let me know your thoughts and feedback on the episode. And much like Jay Rosen over here, stay nervous, guys. Take care.